through the request to the yes. content team, tell me how penguins basically <laughs> took over the world. And the content team goes, huh? uh, okay. <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 171 on the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. It's Saturday the 17th of June. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm no rock star. But with this podcast, I'm going to share the marketing street knowledge I've picked up on my journey from techie to CMO with the help of some true rock stars, my guests and chums, old and new, to inspire the marketing rock star in you. You can find links to me the guests and all the things we talk about in the show notes at rockstarcmo.com along with our street launch blog and newsletter and we are proud members of the marketing podcast network this week in the marketing studio jeff clark has some ideas for measuring your brand i go backstage mark aldover the chief operating officer at evergreen trading and i join my chum robert rose in the rockstar cmo virtual bar for a cocktail and a marketing thought But first, we need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Time for us to drop by the marketing studio where I get some free advice from my chum, Jeff Clark, a former Forrester research director and our resident rockstar CMO strategy advisor. Hello, Ian. Come on <laughs> in to the studio. How are you doing today? <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm not always sure how to respond to your hello, Ian. You leave me a gap and I always try and rush into it and then I end up talking over you, so... <laughs> Don't want to leave any pregnant pauses here. <laughs> well, not with me around. I'll jump right into them and start talking. So, uh, yeah, you know, you know better than that. <laughs> How are you, mate? I am doing well. It's uh, having oh. a, a beautiful day here, as in the uh, mm -hmm. getting close to summer. We got a week till summer starts officially, mm -hmm. but it's feeling like it. Yeah, I think. I think summer is already well. I you never know in the UK. It could be that this is summer and that's the end of it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> the last week or so, we have definitely had some summer here. In fact, it's been very similar to when we were on the um, when we lived on the east coast in the US because we've had some humid days and some big storms. And I remember that was a attribute of that July August thing here, time when yeah. we're in Stanford. Yeah, yeah, yeah. when we're in Stanford, it could be beautiful one minute and then absolutely tipping down with rain the next. Wonderful. Yeah. So we were reminded of our. Our American adventure, certainly. <laughs> anyway, 
let's uh, let's crack on with the show. I'm sure that people don't want to listen to me rambling on about the weather in North America. Um, or maybe they do. So, yes, listener, if you enjoy that <laughs> section, please write it. Put a link me. to the Weather Channel on, uh, on this episode. <laughs> I will. That's what I, you're absolutely right. That's what should be in the show notes, shouldn't it? It should be a link to the weather. Um, anyway, what, uh, well, in the, a link in the show notes will be to you writing about this, I should imagine, next, which will be, we're going to talk about measuring your brand, which as a B2B CMO and my opportunity to pick your brains for free <laughs> <laughs> is top of mind for a lot of us. Um, it's tricky. Um, it is tricky. You could go, you could go some, you could spend a lot of money on trying to figure out your brand awareness and what's going on and all that kind of stuff. And we don't all have those resources, but I know that you've got a practical guide and more of a tactical way of looking at this. So brand awareness, Jeff, what say you, my friend? Ah, so um, as I subtitled this, you know, what is brand awareness? Uh, let me count the ways. I mean, there's <laughs> the the thing is, if we're that's a song reference too, isn't it? You know, so not only the weather, yeah. but you've got the song <laughs> references. So you really are a rock star. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, when you're trying to determine, you know, do we have a strong band, brand? Is our my marketing improving mm-hmm. it? Does geez, if we prove it, does it do anything with rev- driving revenue? And there's just, mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many ways to measure success and there's a lot of different questions to to you know to to do that to address them and and so one of the things that that um i guess i learned uh early in my career or at least a couple decades ago uh was that you know most people think of brand as awareness you know it's like do people know yep. your company name your logo and stuff like that but there's just there's there's these different flavors where it's like what's the awareness of the company, what's the perception of the company, or and or our products, and what is the preference? So getting around to buying things, mm-hmm. um, and so there's little subcategories within each of those that we'll go through um, because that's where you get into what is the question you're really after, <laughs> and and what are the ways yeah. we can actually measure to. Uh, to, to prove that we've done yeah. something or we can like set up a, a marker by which we can look at progress over time. Right. Okay. Well, we've got a lot to crack through here, Jeff. I mean, it's a big old topic. And, um, and from my perspective, from my experience, and I think this is the interesting thing because and that's why measurement can be hard is it, it actually, it's a multiplier of all your marketing isn't yeah. it, brand, a good, strong brand. Your PPC is going to perform better. Everything Absolutely. is going to perform better. Absolutely. So, it's it's a tough one. So, um, so you just mentioned there. There's awareness, perception, and preference, which is three main things that we need to look at as B two B marketers. So let's start with that first one: awareness. What are the what are the attributes? What do we need to look for? There? Yeah. Well, so you know, as as I had alluded to, it's like you know, at the beginning, you can say, you know, do people recognize our company name or our logo? And you can, uh, you can use a lot of the traditional techniques, you know do phone surveys, email surveys, focus groups, social listening can help with this as well. But if you're going to do any of those, which are actually quite expensive, you've really got to say, well, who, let's define the relevant audience because we're not, you know, we're not looking for everybody in the world. And I thought of it's like, you know, grocery shoppers don't care about the brand of the POS system. So you're not going to ask the shopper, but you got to ask the <laughs> the guy who runs IT yeah, for yeah. the grocery store. Um, yeah. And what's your budget to answer this particular question? And do you care? So this is one of the things I did a, a company I was working at and we were doing a brand survey phone and the, and the web form fill in. And we were going, we were trying to go across 
all the awareness, perception, preference, mm-hmm. propensity to buy and stuff like that. And it was really interesting how the company I worked for had a very high uh, name recognition, you know, but then when you got into, you know, what category you're in, they, they didn't really know where to put us. Yeah. Um, and then when you got into try to get into attributes, you know, good, bad, or indifferent, then it's like, and, and then you get down to uh, propensity to buy and they're like, no. <laughs> well, I think we're getting some of that detail in a bit, don't yeah. we? But I, I think that's a really important point is how how important is now name recognition really amongst a broad audience? And it's always the thing we come back to a lot of the time with a lot of our techniques, which is um, what's our smallest viable audience that we right. need to know our name and know our, our brand, right? And, you know, the CEO's mother-in-law really doesn't need to know who we are most of the time. <laughs> so right. so what's the next an important influencer in the purchasing. Yeah. So the next yeah. thing, which, which still is under the bucket of awareness, but is brand reach. And so this mm-hmm. are the tactics you use to get out to your audience. Um, you want to see if they're actually working. So is our name and message reaching the audience that we've defined. And, and so, you know, here's where we can do something by looking at a number of tactical measures to, to start tracking. So if you think about share of voice, you know, social or PR, you know, monitoring, uh, ad impressions or social impressions, you know, use again, your monitoring tools, Google search, where do you rank web visitors? So if you look at your Google analytics traffic, you know, what are Mm -hmm. our visitors? Where are they coming from? So you could actually take three, four or five different measures of things because you're using the tools, you can get the data out of them and you kind of set Mm -hmm. a beginning of the year baseline and say, okay, here's where we're starting. That's indexed at a hundred. And now if I look and I start measuring, you know, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4, Mm. and I see where we are relative to where we started, I can start to Mm. paint a picture that says, you know, we're reaching Mm. more of the audience. I can assume there's a correlation to higher awareness, but at least I know at the very, very, very top of the funnel, um, I'm connecting to more people, which again is what you're Mm. trying to do from a marketing perspective. Yeah. And the nice thing with these things that you just described is these are practical things all of us can do. Right? I look at organic search as an indication of, of brand awareness for sure. So, so, so for sure, that's cool. So that's awareness focusing on name recognition and that reach, right? right? Absolutely. And there's some tactical things we can do to measure reach. And I think that that could be 20 minutes in itself, just looking at how we do that practically as a marketing group. So, and we move on to perception. That's your second one. What's, what are, what are we? Well, there's two, there's two dimensions to this concept of perception. So one is categories. Do the buyers put mm. us in a desired category? If I'm out looking for, you know, software development tools, yeah. would I, would I put you in that category? And then the next um, aspect of that is an attribute. What sort of qualifier would I put with them? You know, they're innovative, they're high quality, they're affordable, or are there bad attributes? And again, we can go back to our traditional tools to to suss out. But if we start looking at our uh, social and media listing tools to see if we're mentioned in categories, if we look at our Google search rank, so if people search for development tools, where do we show up? Um, you know, you can track analyst reviews and mentions and, you know, companies I worked for before you, we wanted to make sure, you know, for the yeah. three or four categories we were participating in, are we in the MQ from Gardner, if we're in the Forrester mm-hmm. Wave, are we in something else that might be important for that particular market? Yeah. And tracking on an annual basis so that's not something you can do you know week by week but at least it's something you can show a trajectory over time 
Yeah, and I think this particular one we can broaden out from an influencer marketing perspective. Absolutely, right? are the are the lead influencers in the market talking about us and our products, yep. and 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 including us in that? Okay, so that's um, category percent, and I think this is super important. I think this might even be more important than name recognition. Is that when people have got a problem, they associate your brand with their problem? Absolutely. Right? And yeah. if you're going using some of the like social tools and mm. stuff, you can you can start to also see what are the attributes they're associating with you, good, bad, mm. indifferent, particularly if you've done brand exercises and you're trying to project yeah. yourself as an innovator, you want to make sure that mm -hmm. that's being echoed back to you from the market. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've talked about that on this show before, haven't we, about defining your brand attributes, about what that means, these things that people associate with you, those descriptive words about being innovative and all that kind of stuff. And um, so so we've got that category perception, that's whether we're useful to them and whether we can help them, right? And then whether we're the right people to be, they want to be associated with, right? Whether we're in their, yep. their tribe from a perception perspective. Okay, so actually that's, uh, we're doing pretty well here, Jeff, unless <laughs> we go backwards on this. I quite like this one. I think category perception is such an important one. Absolutely. And it's similar to what we were talking about before is that we've got some simple tools that we can use around Google search around you know social media mentions and about sort of some tracking of who's talking about us so what's next so then so we get into about to preference. preference and there's three different um sort of subcategories under preference the probably mm -hmm. the well i shouldn't say the most important they're all important but certainly highly important <laughs> is propensity to buy so this is the mm -hmm. this is where you get to the money aspect of your brand is like for the next you know, whatever purchase. So if I was using the application development mm -hmm. tools for the next development tool purchase. Do you prefer to buy our brand mm -hmm. or do you prefer competitor X, Y, Z, et cetera? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And, and again, this, yeah, this is, I mean, for all these things, the traditional tools can be mm -hmm. helpful. The one thing I would add in here is win loss analysis, because oh, yeah. even though this is, and we've talked about win loss analysis over, you know, mm -hmm. a couple different episodes, but even though you're doing yeah. a rear view mirror look, you're still getting people to help you understand why. So, mm -hmm. you know, if, if um, you lost, you know, why did we lose to the competitor? Where in the sales cycle did did the did that mm -hmm. that perception happen that that said nope I don't want to buy from this organization, mm -hmm. and so I think this is where win loss analysis can be really helpful to understand per, uh, propensity to buy. Oh, sure. I mean, also you know, as much as we may bang on something like a focus group because they're expensive, focus groups are mm -hmm. another place to you know to if you've got a certain understanding about what people have an opinion mm -hmm. of you, and then to really you can dig into why then you start to inform some of the higher level statistics you may have pulled out. Yeah. And I feel a bit corrected there because I know that, you know, from a tactical perspective, it's much easier for us to reach for those electronic tools and stay this side of our screen. Um, but there's no, there's no better way than engaging with sales and, and, and actual customers and figuring this stuff out. And I think that this propensity to buy, like we were talking about last week with customer marketing, is an ongoing thing. Oh, absolutely. So you, you don't, so you don't stop doing this. Yeah. You, you keep doing no. it. And, and in yeah. some cases, you know, if, if, you know, like what's more common is that with loss analysis, you, you outsource this to a consultant who knows how to do this. Mm. You can do mm. it internally and you also can just say, we in marketing have to talk to customers mm. or prospects and start to yeah. understand some of their opinions of us and see where yeah. there are gaps are that we need to address. 
Yeah, and I think as we've discussed, I mean, we're, we shouldn't go down the rabbit hole of win-loss analysis because we've spoken plenty about it on the show. But I like the I like the external approach because I think that customers open up a little more, and I also think you get an unbiased view. Exactly. I think it's very hard. It's very hard for a sales guy to f- fully know and then report back why a customer didn't buy from them. Right, it's a little, a little too much thing. bias in there. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't mean it by. I mean, sometimes say that, and they say they they say that negatively about a sales guy, and I've seen that in action. But it's an emotional it's, thing. It's for them, human. Right? They've lost a deal. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right, so that's propensity to buy. What was your next point? For Customer you? satisfaction. So this is probably mm. one of the more traditional brand measures. You know, are our current mm. customers satisfy with us? And so, as you can see, as we're going down, it's almost like we're going down the funnel because we're going from yes. the early yeah, stages yeah. where people are making decisions to, okay, here, mm. they've made their decision. Uh, mm. Are they happy with it? <laughs> you know, and there's yeah, a whole yeah. industry around customer sat. You know, you can also use companies like Qualtrics or setting up your own customer mm. sat surveys. There's a net promoter score where, you know, people are asked yeah. the question, will you recommend us to colleagues? Um, and so these are tools that, again, you can use yeah. some professional services to help you. You can do it on your own. But the, the critical thing is here are, do you have the people who can interpret results? So if you've got a, if you've got an analytics team that's got some really good skills on it that can take survey data, actually knows how to go out and get unbiased survey data and then can interpret results, mm. then you can do mm. some of this work yourself or within the organization. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I think there's a couple of things. Miss. I think, again, from our conversation last week about um, customer marketing, I think there's also... I mean, within the product, you can ask questions about how people feel about the product Absolutely. these days in SaaS, right? In B2B SaaS. Or on your website. And then, and... yeah. And also, I think that, um, I, uh, renewal, I think renewal is a great measurement of propensity to buy and customer satisfaction is keeping a really close eye on your churn and your renewals. So that's those to propensity to buy customer satisfaction. What else we got the, in terms of preference? The last one under preference is customer advocacy. So this is kind of the next level up the food chain from satisfaction is that we have a percentage of customers who are willing to talk to the market about us in a positive way. Yeah. And, and largely this is dependent on the programs you set up to, to support advocacy. So do you have reference programs? Do you have social advocates? Do you have speakers at events? Um, mm. and, and the net performance score is about recommendation. <laughs> you know, you can use mm-hmm. this, that yeah, tool yeah. as well. But, but again, yeah. uh, if, if you've got these programs and you're tracking tactical measures and you can index them together mm-hmm. to say, look, over time, you know, quarter to quarter, mm-hmm. quarter, year over year, year, we're mm-hmm. able to increase the number of references, which helps sales. We're able mm-hmm. to increase the number of people who are advocating out to our communities, mm-hmm. our social networks. We're able to increase the number of people who are willing to speak about their successes at, at our events, whether they're online or, or in person. Yeah. And so, um, you know, these are certainly one of the, these are things that, that I've used in the past to just kind of track yeah. the fact that we've got a lot of happy customers that are willing to talk about yeah. what they do. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then you've got things like G2 and, and other platforms that people can, I mean, you can gain that a little bit because you can incentivize customers to do some of these activities, but nonetheless, it is, um, and then, but you're bringing up measures. a good point. I mean, if you're, if you're on any sites that are involved helping you with, in, with intent marketing, mm. they're going to give you a lot of this, this data that's going to help. Yes. That's true. 
that's true that's true so that's very cool so so we've got we've got three basic areas of uh, brand awareness that we need to measure awareness perception and preference within awareness there's name recognition and reach within perception there's category association so are you relevant to them and attribute association you know what are your brand attributes that they're going to appeal to them i think we could have dived into that a little bit more detail that would have been quite good and then preference which is their propensity to buy their satisfaction with you and then their advocacy afterwards and exactly as you say that's that's the customer journey right there, isn't it? it? In, so a, in a nutshell. Cool. And as you're tracking these sets of metrics is to try to correlate them to increases in revenue because no one of these metrics is, is cool. talking about is yeah. evidence of success. But if you look at the, uh, the index of the metrics and you look at how they're tracking with revenue, you can start to say, look, you know, as we improve our brand and we yeah. take active action on that, we're getting more, more revenue, more opportunities. And better demand metrics overall. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, it's, it's also what I was saying earlier on. If we can get some traction with the brand, then we should see improved results from across a lot of activity. That'll be hard to attribute to brand, but we should be able to see that sort of thing happening. And revenue is the king there. Absolutely agree with you on that. All right. So we come to the last of our, uh, agenda items. What song are we going to go for this week? Jeff? We're going to go out with The Pretender by the Foo mm-hmm. Fighters from 2007 because they say what if i say i'm not like the others which hopefully you're saying in your brand uh marketing (laughs) i love this i love this song as an association around brand we could play this every time we talk about brand i love it so we'll go out with the pretenders food fighters from 2007 and (laughs) uh yes we're not sure we're going to talk about next week but um will you be in the studio next yes so thanks very much mate and i'll see you in the studio next week sounds good Cheers. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jeff. That's a little bit of The Pretender from the Foo Fighters from 2007. Our brands are becoming increasingly important to cut through the noise, but its influence has always been a bit elusive to measure. So a great topic, and I'm sure we'll come back to it. Right, time to go backstage with my guest, Mark Ordover, Chief Operating Officer at Evergreen Trading, a media investment firm that is powered by trade. I met Mark via a long-time friend of what we do here at Rockstar CMO, Ted Rubin. It's a slightly different interview this week as Mark is not really a classical marketer, but his business is fascinating. I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome, Mark, to Rockstar CMO FM. How are you? I am great. Thank you, Ian. Thanks for having me today. Hey, you're very welcome. And where are we speaking to you from today? Today, I am in South Florida, just a little bit north of Fort Lauderdale. Uh, I sort of split my time between New York City and South Florida. So after the holiday weekend here in the U.S., I'm staying here in sunny Florida. Oh, that sounds great. That sounds great. Yes. And yeah, we're just recording this after the after the holiday weekend. So that's a, a nice place to be for the holiday, I think. So so for people that haven't had the... Oh, by the way, we were introduced by Ted Rubin. I have to mention him, obviously. And for <laughs> people that haven't had that experience of either Ted or being introduced to somebody by Ted, um, tell us a bit about yourself, Mark. 
<laughs> Fantastic. Uh, currently, I am the chief operating officer of a solutions company, a media trading company called Evergreen Trading. Mm-hmm. Evergreen is based in New York City. Uh, we have about 110 people, about 30 clients, and probably in the neighborhood between 300 and $350 million in revenue. Um, I have played many roles in this industry over the last 30 years. So the chief operating officer role at this point gives me some good purview over the company's operations, uh, both on the media side as well as the client side of our business. Right, cool. And um, I, I, I mean, people like myself, I, I have to include myself in this, may not understand exactly how what Evergreen Trading does. So explain that. And, and what's that model you were talking about, about trading? Sure. You know, as a solutions company, we're looking to provide business value to two main areas of constituents that we interrelate with. One are uh corporations that advertise to the consumer here in the U.S., and the other are technology and media companies that provide services and content for advertisers to reach those consumers. I'll focus on the corporate side at the moment. Mm -hmm. Uh, A typical um, interaction with a corporation, be a, a big brand name CPG company or a casual dining company, and they may have a couple of pieces of real estate where they've had closed stores. Uh, they're paying long-term leases uh, on those stores and will come in and let's say their remaining lease value is $2 million. Mm-hmm. And the best they're going to collect is somewhere around three hundred to $500,000 in any sort of sub-tenancy. Um, they're big credit uh, organization, so they can't get out of the lease. We come along Mm. and say, hey, how would you like $2 million of value? And we will take over those remaining leases. So at first, a little bit fantastical as a business solution. (laughs) But the way that happens is they're also advertising to the consumer in the U.S. And Mm. of their $100 million hypothetical ad fund, we turn around and say, hey, we can execute this 10 million of your media, both qualitatively and quantitatively, and hit all of your business specs. However, you'll be able to use the real estate at $2 million and cash of $8 million to pay that bill. And if that works exactly the way I lay out, the company is going to create at least a million and a half dollars of real value for themselves. And the mechanism in which we use to transfer that real estate is we pay people in what we call a trade credit, which is a dollar denominated IOU on our company mm-hmm. for use against that media. So that's the benefit. Did I did that uh, uh, come yeah. across as difficult to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm fascinated by this. It's not something that's part of my regular everyday world. So that's why I was keen to have you on the show, because I think a lot of people are probably not familiar with this sort of thing that that goes on. So you'd say, say you've got, did you say 30 clients who are are doing this with you? About 30 clients. Yes. Yeah. 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 And is it always real estate swapping for media or is there, is there other stuff? How does that, what's, what, what, what can be traded? What is traded in this? You know, uh, this is the, this is one of the best parts of the business. I've been in Mm. this with two different companies. Evergreen's my second company for 30 years. And Mm. we, have purchased such a plethora of things. So one of our clients sold us three jet aircraft uh, six <laughs> wow. years ago. 
Right. Um, The pandemic, uh, the unfortunate uh, pandemic for all of us came up and created so much surplus pandemic protective wear. So we think Mm -hmm. about uh, hand sanitizer, masks, gloves, barricades. So I've had a lot of corporations, certainly on the retail side, say, hey, I have millions of dollars of this stuff that I don't need anymore. Would you consider Mm -hmm. buying that? And said, yeah, let us look into it. Um, Inventory from clients, uh, cosmetics, food products, uh, bulk food products, um, as long as it's legal, um, and we can figure, uh, we can figure out a way with the customer to move that, uh, physical inventory in a way that's yeah. safe, that complies with all local, state, and federal laws, and that works for the corporation. And Ian, that's where our creativity, um, and quite frankly, mm. a lot of passion in the organization comes about. Mm, yeah that sounds i mean that that must be a varied challenge depending on which which product it is and making sure that it's a win-win for both right for you and the customer i imagine absolutely and there are times that our u.s-based customers have sold us um soft goods think of um apparel uh we bought it in hong kong didn't make it to the u.s in time for the selling season and we were able to resell that in europe so selling the product can go just about as far as field as the economics will allow. A lot of times wow. we will evaluate US-based product where customers want it to go to Latin America or Europe, mm-hmm. um, but the labeling doesn't work. Freight may okay. become costly. So there's the idiosyncrasies about every different product. Um, some of the okay. easiest times are buying things that we can take out of what we'll call mainstream uh, mass merchants and first line mm-hmm. retailers and the second line and third line retailers think of the dollar generals and a whole host of those are very fine alternatives. And so that creates value uh, across the selling chain as well as for the U S consumer. All right. Well, and I guess th- th- there's a, there's a particular size an organization needs to be to work with you on this. Right. So I guess that th- 30 clients you have, are they, are they mo- mostly big, B to C kind of organizations. What I mean, I don't, I don't know if you're allowed to name them, but what sort of companies are we talking about? Um, yes, you you hit it right on the head. So <laughs> I would tell you that one of the best, um, I would say, pieces of an asset that our company owns is that list of clients. And yeah. since I don't get permission all the time, I, I don't name them. But I will mm. tell you that twenty of the thirty clients you will know all their names. They are giant yeah. B2C users. Um, they're household names. We love that. We feel great when we get an assignment and we can try and grow that assignment into a mm. regular, you know, our goal is to be put into the procurement process every year. So mm. our interactions with new customers begin as a transaction. And what we want mm. to do is to grow into being a client relationship where every year in their planning process, they know that a certain amount of their media investment will run through us, creating a certain amount of value for them in surplus assets. Um, and now we even have clients that turn around and suggest after the first or second time, what if I didn't give you an asset, but I wanted to take the value you create and use it to get extra media, uh, extending yeah. my media investment. And we have figured that out as well. So, um, awesome. That's yeah. 
I think I think it's fans- I think it's a fascinating model where somebody a CMO might be looking at a warehouse and going, "There's some marketing budget in there. <laughs> I want to spend it." <laughs> so, well, we're getting <laughs> Ian. That's a great <laughs> comment, but more often than not, it's the real estate and the CFO thinking that, and now saying yeah, to yeah. the CMO, "Can you come along into this journey with us?" And yeah, and yeah. Quite candidly, their first uh, blush at this, if they've never done it, is pretty much why me. It's not my warehouse. (laughs) Uh, Can you help me understand? Uh, (laughs) It's all budget, mate. I'm I'm in. I'm in. Don't you worry about it. (laughs) And so that's, that's, I think that's a good overview of Evergreen Trading. I wanted to dive into that because it's such a different model. I was fascinated by it and I want to share that with the listener. Um, listeners, hopefully. <laughs> so, and one of the things I thought was interesting as I dug into your your background and your company is it's a, your company is a hundred percent employee owned. Is that one of your kind of um, passions as a brand, and and how does that work for you? Absolutely, it is um, yeah. relatively recent. We're two years into our employee. We in the U.S. here we call it ESOP, which is an employee stock ownership plan. Uh, the founder and CEO of the company sold his stake in the company to um, the company. And in order for the company to do that, we form a trust. Um, the trust hires an outside financial advisor who negotiates with the CEO for a fair value to buy the shares. Mm. And then as long as you have worked for the company for a minimum of one year, then every mm. year after that, you receive a certain amount of shares in the company as part of your compensation. Um, mm-hmm. You have to work a certain amount of the time of the, for the company for the shares to be vested, but yeah. that's it. And what we're hoping comes from this journey is that the enterprise value of the company becomes more and more important rather than the siloed bonus programs like yeah. in every corporation. So you'll never lose that uh, individual uh the silo bonus mechanism, but the more that we can pull together on enterprise value creation, the more that everybody will benefit. So yeah. our owner thought it was a great, great opportunity to transfer future success to the people working in the company. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a great model, especially if you're in a growing company and, you know, really sort of pulls the employees together and gets that engagement and loyalty and commitment, doesn't it? I think it's mm-hmm. a, I think that's a great model for organizations. Um, yeah. Now, yeah. So now I want to, I want to, I want to explain about marketing. Seeing this is a marketing show, aside from the realization that if I'm ever in a position where I've got a, a warehouse full of s- stuff that I can sell, that I'm going to send it your way so I can get some more budget. Apart from that realization, but you're, um, so you're not a marketer. But from your side of the commercial table, how do you view? How have you viewed marketing through your career? How's it looked to you? That's a great question. Um, I, in the 30 years that I've been doing this uh, mm-hmm. or in, in in this type of business model, I would yeah. say the best way to describe my perspective is being in the first two or three rows of a Broadway show where the marketing, <laughs> the marketing orchestra is on stage yeah. and I am very close to watching the show go on, but mm-hmm. never being asked to be exactly on the stage. But yeah. let me put a little bit more intimacy around that in no time. Um, I've probably uh, created transactions and steward transactions for several billion dollars, billions of dollars of media mm-hmm. investment that ran through a solution mechanism like I'm describing. So yeah, yeah. I have some intimacy around um, 
how marketers engage with this. And I think I mentioned to you before, which is in some of the bigger companies that we interface with, if the real estate procurement and or financial folks find asset problems in the company that they're struggling with, and this mm-hmm. solution presents them the highest and best solution for that struggling asset, we are executing that solution using media as a currency mm-hmm. and therefore needing to go get the marketing and media teams involved as yeah. what we'll call a user buyer. <laughs> yeah. So in fairness to them, they have a lot of priorities on their plate. So usually when they're hearing about this for the first time, they're looking at this as their cup runneth over. Um, (laughs) They have to sort of be, uh, they they want to engage to figure out, is this going to seriously require them to put more effort into management of anything? Um, Is the quality and the quantity of the media that we provide on trade going to meet the quality and quantity of the media that their agency provides? Mm -hmm. And those are all very reasonable commercial um, I see. questions, yeah, but yeah. that's usually where that engagement process begins. Does right. that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I hadn't appreciated that. So it's like a change of supplier, isn't it? In that they're very comfortable with who you're they're getting their media from today. And now you've come along. <laughs> and even yeah. though you have a very innovative way of funding some extra budget for them, they're going to need to get to know you guys as a new marketing partner, right? hundred yeah, percent. Yeah. We generally will work with their agency as a uh, subcontractor to the agency. So yeah. the agency still provides stewarding, mm-hmm. uh, evaluation, analysis. Again, the agency very much may have the same uh, concerns about mm-hmm. cup runneth over <laughs> on, yeah. from the marketing. But if I go back to my example earlier, yeah. honestly, one of the first things I'll sit down with the marketing folks and the finance folks is saying, look, what we've outlined here is the potential to create a million and a half dollars of value to the company using 10% of your budget. Mm. The question I have for you is, is that enough? Yeah. And, and you need to like, cause it, it, you know, forget about all the homework and the due diligence that we can take you through. But mm. if you feel like this is enough, then, then we're very interested in helping to take the leap of faith that may be as wide as the Grand Canyon right mm. now and reducing it to a step where you can step over this and get comfortable, whether that's talking to other clients of ours or simply in the due diligence. Um, I would also suggest that the finance folks that are leading this type of transaction, more often than not, will find a way to share that benefit with the marketing team Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that the user buyer, in this case, the marketing and media folks say, I understand that we're creating value for the company, and I also believe that we're creating some more value to make my job more successful <laughs> that's the key yeah. isn't it? that's the key when you're selling in any initiative into an organization is what's in it for me <laughs> right? I, you know people people are people yeah. and uh, i think that's part of the art of bringing together multi-functions within yeah. a corporation yeah. so that everybody can be successful but that's the way i would view the way marketing folks would be looking at me <laughs> in a first conversation yeah so and actually for your go-to-market as evergreen trading then it sounds like there's a there's there's quite a selective process in terms of you know it's a narrow group of people that you're probably going to be having a conversation with you talk about having 30 clients and the amount of revenue you get from those 30 clients and it sounds like it's the cfo route into an organization for you is it is it always finance and not marketing 
No, we will. We will. Uh, generally, we're looking at the C-suite uh, or right below the C-suite, looking yeah. for solutions that we can create. And sometimes it very well could be marketing. Uh-huh. If I've listened to a CEO and a CFO on their annual report yeah. with investors yeah. discuss some critical things the company wants to accomplish in this particular next 12 months. Yeah. And if I think one of them can be solved through the marketing, we very well may craft a message to the marketing folks and said, hey, I, I heard the three tenants that the CEO put out. One of them is directly in your bull cart. I think we can create a solution here yeah. that drives this faster and quicker. Could we have a conversation? Yeah. Uh, the asset side of this thing, clearly we're looking at real estate, uh, mm. procurement, inventory mm. folks trying to find a way that we can craft a craft a proposal yeah. sure no I, I think this is really interesting because i imagine that sparks some really interesting c-suite conversations that they wouldn't have had right hey well i will tell you this interestingly enough 30 years ago there was a handful of companies in the u.s and probably around the world that were doing this and the yeah. major uh multinational agency holding companies yeah. um did not participate in this and basically were very much don't do this. Yeah. It's not going to work well. Yeah. Um, if you fast forward to June 1st of 2023, every agency holding company has developed a version of this wow. solutions oriented, not nearly as robust on the asset side. Mm. Yeah. Buying jet planes is scary <laughs> for, yeah, for IPG or somebody. Yeah. Right. That's yeah. not something they tend to want to be involved in. Yeah. Um, but everybody is trying to participate in some shape or form mm-hmm. in this uh, uh, solutions orientation, if you will. Wow. Yeah, fascinating. And, and what advice do you give to marketers when they're, when they're engaging with commercial leaders in the business, like these in these kinds of conversations? Um, you know, I guess just to have an open mind. But what would you say if you were on that side of the table? You know, I, I think you actually answered it, and I, I want to try. I <laughs> try not to be. Well, look, you know, there's a version of from my spot in the corporation. If I'm reaching into the corporation somewhere, and I really would like to try and wrap our brains around a certain new process in the company, mm-hmm. it's difficult if another leader in the company below me just absolutely says I'm not engaging. Yeah, right. Yeah. It's 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 hard, and and you may be able to get away with that. You know, you yeah. may not. I, I find that it's better to um, debate this with a drop of rigor mm-hmm. um, to really find out operationally mm-hmm. what value it creates or takes away. Is that that uh, financially mm-hmm. value creation or not? Yeah. Uh, and and importantly, one of the things I'll say to companies is it um, is it measurable. Is it repeatable and is it scalable? Yeah, yeah. And if we came up to those three things, and I am the first one to say, hey, Ian, this is probably not for you. you yeah, you're, yeah. you're running a $200 million ad budget. You have yeah. big goals today. Yeah. In most cases, Ian, I think that's possible. It's based on the level of homework and due diligence. Yeah, no, I love that answer. All right. Well, I've let time fly away as usual, and I'm going to get to our final question. So we have a regular feature, the Rockstar CMO, so we import our portal to marketing hell, where we throw all the bullshit snake oil and overhype trends that plague this marketing craft we love. Well, I know you're not a marketer, so you're an honorary member of this particular club. What would you check into our pool, mate? Um. Well, that could be the hardest question you asked. Um, I, I say this. I'm going to go back to my perch in the first row of a wonderful Broadway play featuring <laughs> rock stars, and 
if I was on this stage, I would go back to what I said. I think that the speed and rapidity of which technology is changing. Mm-hmm. I think everybody talks about wanting to discuss their product and services one-on-one with a consumer. Yeah. But if you're a big CPG company, a big telecom company, farmer, you name it, and you need to talk to 35 million U.S. folks, doing it one-to-one is possible. It's a big task, yeah, right? Yeah. And the and the technology supply chain that's required to change messaging, pricing, optimize, mm-hmm. buy media channel to try and get that feedback can become all-encompassing. So I think that's a big bucket of, of I'm not going to use some of the words that I heard you <laughs> said, but I think that could take your mind's eye off of things that are right. really important, which is, are we putting the right product in the marketplace? Are we putting the right price on it? And then am I using that chain yeah. to figure out whether the messaging and the product is right for the target audience I think exists out there? Yeah. And not to get so caught up in every shiny new penny. <laughs> yeah. a- AI is really important right now, right? But if yeah. I was a CEO of one of these companies, somebody else in the organization has to be looking at this because if I let myself go to every one of these things, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know how to be great at at anything so maybe that's an answer for all c-suite folks including myself i love that and i I don't think you're the first person to chuck into the pool the distractions of the shiny things and i think we (laughs) marketers are the worst at that i think that's perfect thank you very much mark and when people spin the dial on the interwebs uh where are they going to find you evergreen trading and are you on linkedin stuff like that Absolutely. Evergreentrading.com. Please come visit us. Uh, I am on LinkedIn and I would love to engage in any conversation and debate around why media trading provides valuable solutions to marketers. Splendid. Well, I find your model absolutely fascinating and I'm glad you came on the show. Thanks very much, Mark. Thanks for having me. Cheers, buddy. Bye. Thank you, Mark. Like I say, a fascinating business. And I will, of course, include all his links in the show notes. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar and join my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, chief troublemaker at the Content Advisory for Cocktail and a Marketing Thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar. It is, it's been a busy week. I know you've been busy. I've been, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a little, it's been a little crazy this week, but uh, so it's, it's good to be at the end of the week and into our weekend. And uh, yeah, so this week, uh, I thought we'd go a little fancier. I have been, so it's one of those things where I've needed a little pick me up in the afternoon. Not that I'm drinking in the afternoon, not that I'm day drinking <laughs> during work or anything, but um, uh, I, I have felt the need as I move into the evening hours to mm-hmm. not just uh, uh, have something that will, you know, calm me down, but actually something that was, you know, a little bit of a pick me up. And so this week, we're sort of combining that idea of feeling a little fancy with sort of a pick me up, and we're going to have espresso martinis. Um, which is one of my favorite things. And I've been enjoying them over the last couple of weeks because I forgot how good they really are. Sometimes you have them, it feels almost like a dessert. Like Mm. when you, when you drink a good espresso martini, it feels almost like, Ooh, this is like fancy dessert, but it can be enjoyed anytime I find. (laughs) Um, 
whether you're day drinking or not. Yes. Um, and of course, uh, the way we make a espresso martini is uh, we use vodka. This, this is not the appropriate time for a gin martini. So <laughs> I'm I'm sure you'll struggle a little bit with this um, <laughs> with your desktop bar. But uh, we have uh, two ounces of vodka or two parts vodka, depending on how many you're making. So two parts vodka. Yeah. Then you'll have a half part uh, coffee liqueur, mm-hmm. usually Kahlua. It's the easiest one to find. But if yeah. you have others brands that you like you know certainly do that and then of course one part espresso freshly brewed is the key here yes. or i am finding that you can find a lot of the cold brews yes. uh these days which are really nice and immediately don't have to put ice on them and cold mm. cool them down and all that just really nice and then again whether your preference or not i don't need the little simple syrup to mm-hmm. sweeten it up because i find the kalua provides plenty of sweetness mm-hmm. um but if you want a little sugar in it more sugar in it and sweeter you can add a little simple syrup but i think just the espresso kalua and vodka is perfect for it mm-hmm. and it's a lovely sipper yep. uh you of course you know you're going to shake that into ice uh, until very well chilled and then pour it into a martini glass and and not drink it on the rocks. So there you go. Yeah, no, that's, um, I I have, I know in my desktop bar I have a limited uh, uh, bits and bobs, but uh, yeah, I've got a, I've got a shake from all that stuff and I often make an espresso martini. The problem with them is they are so eminently drinkable aren't they <laughs> indeed yes you, you you do run the risk of having multiples yes that is for sure yes, yeah. yes. they're one yes. of those where you're like oh god i've had three of these this is this is going to go very badly all right well i'm going to um, attempt to replicate that very drink using only the ingredients from my desktop bar and as you heard me popping open there some of most english of vodkas i'm going to go with some hendrix gin Oh, mm. hang on a minute. I suppose I put some ice in that. And I know you put ice in the shaker because before you shake it up, but I'm obviously sticking that in the glass with some gin. And then I don't have any liqueur coffee on my desk or any espresso. So coffee liqueur, I should say, or any espresso. But I do have um, some of the... I don't know how to make it. Oh, yes. Well, we all know that cucumber is a very similar uh, <laughs> vegetable to the coffee bean. The most English of coffee beans. Indeed. Uh, is the, it's funny, I got asked on a podcast earlier on that I was being interviewed on, and they said to me, why are you so obsessed with tea? And I said, it's the gin and tonic of the day. <laughs> anyway, I'll give ah. this a go. Mm, that's delicious, Robert. As I said, I could drink one of these every week. What are we calling this? <laughs> well, we would call what I'm drinking an espresso martini, but you know what, uh, it, you, what you've made in your desktop bar is, is not that. Yeah, I have to say as well because it's been very warm here, uh, and we're we're recording this slightly earlier than we normally do. I know that we're still eight hours different because you're in California, I'm in the UK. Uh, this particular version of an espresso martini that I've made is very refreshing. <laughs> ah, there you go. Yes. Mm. Better put that down. Um, so, um, where will we be drinking these very fine? Well, drinks? we're going to go to. So, the, at first, you're going to say it sounds appropriate. Uh, so, we would go to uh, mm. Las Vegas um, for <laughs> sipping uh, the espresso martinis, which sounds semi-appropriate. But actually, I'm going to take us a little bit further north um, of Las Vegas. Las Vegas is the most convenient place to fly into and to get into, but we're going to actually go up to a very small 
uh, town um, and, and in up in the southern Utah, which is about it's a few hours drive um, from Las Vegas into Zion National mm-hmm. Park. Um, and there's some wonderful little towns all around Zion National Park, which is absolutely spectacular this time of year, by the way. And you've also mm-hmm. beaten the crowds the, who will not come until the late summer. Yeah. where you can go camping and all those kinds of things. But we will not go camping in Zion National Park. We will actually ensconce ourselves in one of the wonderful little boutique hotels on the outsides of the park um, and uh, sip our martinis. But then we'll enjoy a day of, of hiking in Zion National Park and see the beautiful multicolored canyons and all the things that Zion has to offer. That sounds lovely. Yes. That sounds lovely. I did wonder for a moment, uh, Utah isn't a dry state, is it? So we're, we're fine now. <laughs> we well, Utah's not a dry state, but it is a, it is a, it is a, is a semi-arid state. How about that? Um, <laughs> you know, the way that you have to order liquor. Uh, so we'll probably mm. be bringing our espresso martinis with us uh, from Vegas um, okay. in, a, in, a, in some sort of thermos. But... But you do have to order food. Yeah, the way it works is is that you have to order food with the, every bar you go into or restaurant, uh, anything yeah. that serves liquor. You will also serve food, and you also have to. So you have to accompany whatever it is. It could just be with some snacks, wing. but yeah, that's the way it works. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I just had a vision of is like um, pouring the uh, pouring these espresso martinis and buying them in Vegas, and then jumping into a convertible <laughs> heading ah, north. Yes. <laughs> well, I suspect that was probably my geography is probably why out there. It's probably too far. But so um, we're, we're we're sipping these lovely drinks, and we're probably eating a chicken wing or something that we have to because we've ordered them there. Um, and conversation turns from the beautiful sky and the surroundings to marketing. What are we going to be talking about this week? Well, it, it's interesting because we haven't spoken about it in the last twelve minutes, so I thought we'd talk about AI minutes. again. Um, <laughs> You know, <laughs> you haven't been in my meetings, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Last twelve minutes, good lord. <laughs> yeah, and, and here's the thing: the I've been doing a lot of thinking um, based on a research project that my little firm is in the midst of doing. Yes, um, where we've been out surveying marketers about the inclusion of you know where basically where do we sit in the middle of 2023 with mm-hmm. integrating artificial intelligence and specifically generative AI content creation, that sort of thing into the workflow of marketing content and, and thought leadership and all of those operational processes in marketing. In other words, is it basically is the question. And it's interesting as we've talked to, certainly we've been talking to both sides, right? We've been talking to uh, roughly two dozen software companies. Um, and, uh, it's, it's fascinating when we talk to the software companies about where they see the market going mm-hmm. um, and where we and when we talk to marketers and where we see them experimenting and, and, and working. And it's interesting because there's sort of a bit of a disconnect there. Um, basically, it's the, the interesting thing is, is that what where we see the really successful companies uh, that are at least this early in the process, are, well, I've been summing it up this way. I've been summing it up as content creation is actually the least interesting thing right, right. that AI yeah, is yeah. doing. And a lot of it comes down to understanding that 
how much goes into content creation before you start editing and looking at words mm -hmm. on a screen or a page, you know, the virtual page, as it were. What I mean by that is, is that so today's tools, they're not going to proactively suggest how a business should express itself, right, with content. They're basically going to be dutifully complying with any prompt, right? Any prompt you put in to the extent that the AI can will answer it, right? In other words, the AI is not going to come back and go, yeah, that's a really dopey <laughs> idea. You shouldn't write about that. And, and so the interesting thing to me when we start thinking about that is in so many ways, that's kind of where content is in so many marketing organizations these days. In other words, you know, and I've tweeted about this before, I've talked about this, where the content team in marketing is often seen as an on-demand vending machine of content. And, you know, basically in many companies, content, marketing content and content marketing is kind of seen as the content GPT of yeah. the organization, yeah. right? Sales or demand generation or CEOs or somebody in the organization puts in a prompt through some intake form, right? Whether that be the intranet or an email or some sort of collaboration yeah. tool. And then the team dutifully complies with the creation of that content, whether or not it's a good idea yeah. or not. And that's a fascinating thing to me because what that means is that as, and we're starting to actually see this emerge as a pattern is, is that if you show me a business where ChatGPT is being implemented immediately, into uh, the marketing content creation process as an efficiency creator for putting out more and more content, I'll show you a company that doesn't have a content strategy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And it's fascinating to me to, to, to see that because what it's becoming in those organizations is that ChatGPT, Bard, whatever you know, con generative content engine you, you, you think of, when it's used as a means of amplifying the output of content creators mm -hmm. solely, then you start to see that it's really just going to become a, you know, whether you like to call it a, a, an opaque lens or a, or a Band-Aid or, you know, whatever metaphor you like, but it's going to basically hide the issue that they don't have a strategy or a process to begin with. And where we're seeing successful companies actually in, integrate this into their workflow is actually where they're using ChatGPT not to use things, use the engine to increase their output, but rather as a way to analyze, summarize, or in some ways encapsulate ideas so that they might actually spend more time doing not, not pushing words, in other words, not typing words, but actually coming up with better ideas that would then be, uh, uh, you know, enabled. In other words, there's 14 steps in the writing process before you start yeah. typing words, right? There's research and then there's yeah. creativity and then there's, should we talk about this? And there's, Hey, is anybody else in the world talking about this? And what should our point of view yeah. be about this? And there's all those steps that you want to take when you're writing something that is ultimately going to try and differentiate your brand before you type word one into the Microsoft yeah. word. And ChatGPT is being used really effectively in those mm -hmm. processes. And AI is generally being used effectively in those processes. And show me a company that's doing that, and I'll show you a company that's at least got the beginnings of a great content yeah, strategy. That's so cool, and I completely agree. And I think um, I don't. I mean, we're scratching the surface of. Uh, sorry, I, don't, I didn't mean 
I mean, us as an industry, as marketers, I think all, all, all people are scratching the surface of ChatGPT. And I, I think it's it, the idea that you're going to give it a prompt, it will chuck you out a blog post, is focusing on the wrong thing, isn't it? And I think there's nothing, nothing better in a way than when you're stand, sitting looking at that blank sheet of paper to have an assistant like ChatGPT give you that opening stuff that you can work with. Do you know what I mean? It might all be written badly all the things that chat gpt is being criticized for no personality some of the facts are wrong but it gives you a, a kernel of an idea doesn't it to start working on something it mm. certainly can or in the at the end mm. of the process right so once you've created that yeah. wonderful thing and you need to create yes. all the yeah, derivative yeah. content yeah. around it right the summary the abstract the you know saving time at the end for rewriting it as a you know so you do this amazing podcast and you use ChatGPT to summarize your podcast and um and and provide a you know provide a derivative yeah. piece of content based on it well now you've now you're now you're doing something or taking ChatGPT and having it summarize the interview that you did with mm -hmm. a customer or the interview that you did with a subject matter expert and provide you the summary bullet points so that you can actually very quickly look at that and go, ah, yeah. here's the angle I want to take yeah. for the piece that yeah. I want to write, right? So that to Great. me is much more interesting and much more strategic use yeah. of ChatGPT than basically saying, hey, write me a post yeah. as if I was interviewing this yeah. subject matter expert and what would it say, yeah. right? I was, um, um, and it's, yeah, yeah I don't, yeah, I, I, just to give you some insight into um, something I was doing the other day, which was, I was helping somebody with some some messaging, and so the out what we were driving towards were some slides with some bullet points on. But what I did was just thought about all the things that you could think about on this topic from from both of us. Did some brainstorming, did some research with some of their with some of their subject matter experts, an external analyst, got all that down, and then fed that into ChatGPT and said, "Give me a summary of this," and then asked it just to summarize that into. And the first bit was like four paragraphs, then into 10 bullet points, then into four. Do you know what I mean? And then I got all those different things. And, what, and at no point would you publish what it produced. It still needed work. But it was really, it, ju it just, it, you know, if you're working with four bullet points that it's given you from that work you've done, it saves a ton of time, right? And it's working from the ideas you originally had. So I thought, that's how I've used ChatGPT recently. Is that's what you're talking about? Right? That's right. It's in other words, <clears throat> what we're doing is is we're the, the humans are pushing on the ideas, right? Not AI. Yeah. In other words, yeah. you, the humans are creating and pushing, and you know. So I use the metaphor all the time. Like I'm one of the luckiest things I have going for me is that. My, you know, I have a I have a weekly column that I write every week, and then I have you know, mm. white papers, and I have you know things that I create um, in, in varying degree. And one of the amazing things that I have is what's typically called a developmental editor, right? Someone when I send my first draft, the editor looks at it and says, "This is smart, right? This is or." Or, <laughs> more frequently than I would like, this is dumb, right? Or this is wrong. Oh, wow. Or they at least yeah. push on my ideas and make me clarify my arguments to be better. Mm. Yeah. AI is not going to... AI doesn't do that. No. Right? Yes. AI, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, you put, the, you put your 
white post or your white paper or your you know your blog post or whatever into ChatGPT, and you say push on these ideas, all it's going to do is rewrite those ideas. Oh yeah, and and find the patterns in it, and basically, maybe it points out things that you're not talking about that you could have talked about, but it's not actually pushing on the arguments. I'm not even sure it would do that. If you go, it would only work within the. It's only going to work within the guardrails that you. That's right. It's not going to say, "Oh, by the way, uh, I heard about this the other day," <laughs> or any of the sorts of things you might get yeah. from a, a real grown-up editor. It's funny. I uh, was. I mean, aren't we all in a co- some sort of conversation of ChatGPT at the moment on LinkedIn? But I, somebody, uh, I'm going to. I don't know whether I can find it, but somebody uh, made a very funny comment, and that they said that they they actually asked ChatGPT about how. How and why did the penguins take over the world? You know, how did that happen? And it gave them a perfectly plausible, you know,、uh, but it's all, you know, it's all rubbish because the prompt was, the assumption was the penguins had taken over the world, and clearly they haven't, right? But the ChatGPT hasn't got that concept to say, no, they haven't. <laughs> it will then tell you why they have, even though they haven't. <laughs> I don't know if I'm explaining myself. Right, that's right. <laughs> But yeah, and and so it's only going to be as good as what、um, as what it as, <laughs> how as, penguins can take over. The, I like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I want to. And we、um, could do the we could do the 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 Benedict Cumberbatch. Have you have you seen that that video with Benedict Cumberbatch trying to pronounce penguins? <laughs> Is this very sort of penguins? <laughs> penguins, penguins, penguins. <laughs> Yeah, you might. I think you know. You know. You probably know Adrian Bloom. Bloom probably is one of the CMS kind of guys. That yes. Oh yeah. Of course. Yeah. Yeah.、Um, he. It's. It, I, I managed to find the post while you were chatting, and、uh, but I was paying full attention to what you were saying. I can multitask like amazing. He said, "Indeed." I asked ChatGPT how penguins managed to take over the world without anyone knowing, and it gave me a three serious paragraph reply on how that. <laughs> so、nice. I'm like, you got to publish that, mate. I got to see that. <laughs> that's so, fantastic. So, I love. I think that. that's to your point. I think I'm helping with your point, right? <laughs> no, you are indeed. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's exactly it, right? It, it's, but but the intro. Here's the thing. Yeah. That's that. That's not only a perfect metaphor for the interesting and and sort of challenges of generative AI,、mm-hmm. but it's also a perfect metaphor. For the challenges with today's current content marketing strategy, yes, where the sales team or the demand gen team or a CEO will put in through the request to the、yes. content team, tell me how penguins basically <laughs> took over the world, and the content team goes,、huh? oh, okay, we, okay, fine, we'll write a white paper, we'll make an ebook about that, right? I love that. Yeah, that's the point I should have pulled on. Actually, is I really like that idea. You know, the content team is the Chat GPT of the business, right? And that's the that that you know. So show me, so show me one where they're basically <laughs> looking at Chat GPT as a extra or you know additional、yeah. writer for you know taking care of the demand of inbound yeah. requests. Yeah. And I'll show you, you know, I'll show you one that's got a. <laughs> Poor content strategy. All right, man. I got it. I've got. To, we've we've got to move on because I know you've got a hard stop. But the、um, I was 
genuinely in a meeting today with my team there was a reference to the person that runs our content who will who will because we're changing everything so they will be running our content marketing team and somebody's saying don't worry you'll have chat gpt we don't <laughs> it's like so exactly that analogy was made there it today. is that's brilliant and scene right and <laughs> well all right matey so when people want to learn more about your thoughts on robots but not written by robots where will they find that uh, well, they'll find it at our website at contentadvisory.net, which mm-hmm. honestly I hate right now. So I'm, 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 <laughs> I'm thinking about trying to figure out a way to redesign the entire experience there because it's just bugging the hell out of me. But yeah, but yeah, for now, go website. there and just know that I'm, I'm, I'm not loving it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And then um, is there... Is your research still open, that survey? Should I include a link to that in the show notes? No, we closed it. We actually closed it yesterday. As this this goes to air, we will have closed it yesterday. We got some amazing responses, and we're in the midst of now processing all those responses and 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 putting together the uh the position okay. paper on this all right well i'll include a link to that in a future after a future show and um when people spin the dial on the internet they're going to find you uh they'll find me a lot on linkedin these days yeah we're finding some fun success on our uh, doing our podcast yeah. uh in a semi-live uh <laughs> broadcast on yeah. linkedin yeah. and then uh certainly uh, I, I post quite a bit there and Twitter is just becoming sort of a, I don't know, it's a back alley for yeah, me now. Absolutely. And most importantly for me, will you be in the bar next week? Ah, indeed. Thank you, Robert. Fascinating topic as the role of ChatGPT in our lives as marketers continues to evolve. Thanks for that. So that's a wrap on episode 171 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast. Thanks to Jeff, Mark and Robert for sharing their experience. You can find all their links in the show notes along with our blog, newsletter and all the previous episodes on rockstarcmo.com. And thank you for dropping a dime into your podcasting jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. Please let us know what you think via the socials. Drop us a rating or review in your podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, Jeff is back in the studio. I go backstage with an amazing guest, Tim Ringle, global CEO at Meet the People. And Robert will be back in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. Until then, have a great week. And I hope you again join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.